Welcome to this week's podcast from Capital Church's Young Adult Service. We hope this message encourages you, and thank you for joining us. Well, hey, my name is uh, Garrison, and uh, my wife and I, we have the honor and the privilege to help uh, uh, lead Capital Young Adults, and what a privilege it is. This is one of the best communities in the world, and so we're so thankful and so grateful to be a part of it. And uh, I didn't get a chance to see, but if it's your first time, would you just give me a wave real quick? I'm not gonna embarrass you, just wanna say what's up. Hey, welcome. Welcome. All right, glad that you made it here. Well, we are gonna read a little bit of the Bible and then we're gonna tell a few stories and talk about what I feel like God has put on my heart tonight. So um, if you're new to this community, we believe that the Bible is the word of God and we believe it's living, it's active, and it's powerful. And so if you're here tonight, you're gonna hear a little bit of the word and uh, we hope that you have an encounter with Jesus. And uh, we don't believe that Jesus was just a prophet or just a man, we believe that Jesus is God and that he walked among us, that he resurrected from the dead on the third day and that now in Jesus we have eternal life. Come on, that'll preach right there. So. Well, if you are, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Acts chapter two. We're gonna go to Acts chapter two. We're gonna be in uh, verses 42 through 47. And if you don't have a Bible, it feels like really quiet in here. It's like, yeah, anticipating. It's just a big room, you know, so it feels like, um, anyways. If you didn't bring your Bible, we have a floating Bible up here so you can follow along with us. And I'm gonna read a few scriptures and then we'll pray. If you're there, you could say, I'm there. Someone said, I'm not there yet. Okay, we'll give you just a minute. You're slower than the rest. Kidding. Okay, Acts 2.42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed, all who believed, excuse me, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Well, hey, a little bit about Acts. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new here, that's okay. Um, At this time in Acts, this was uh, Jesus has already been on the scene. We see Jesus through his death, his burial, his resurrection. Uh, He comes back to life and then he begins uh, to meet with people that he had seen and walked with on earth. So when we get to the book of Acts, Jesus instructs the disciples. He says, hey, what I want you to do now, I want you to go to an upper room. I want you to wait because the father in heaven has a gift for you. The disciples are like, I don't know what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, the Bible records, literally ascends into heaven. It says he disappears off the earth. Okay. So the disciples, they go uh, up to the upper room and they wait And eventually what happens, it says there comes a rushing wind and the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes and fills these apostles. 
And then what happens, we see in Acts, this is where the church begins. This is where God starts his new ministry on the earth through the church. So when we read in Acts 2.42, this is like the beginning of it all. So Dr. Luke, he's recording about the events going on um, in the book of Acts. And this is a fascinating book. If you've never read the book of Acts, I encourage you to read the book of Acts. Uh, It's a really powerful and profound book. But this is where uh, we get our start is right here in the book of Acts. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Would you pray with me? All right. Jesus, we just thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that your presence is already here in this building. And God, we just ask that tonight as we gather, as we read your word, as we talk about the goodness of you, Lord, I ask that it wouldn't just be words, but we ask that there would be a tangible present presence of your Holy Spirit in the atmosphere. God, we pray you would touch every person here who needs a touch from God. And we ask that Jesus, you would do what only you can do. If you believe that, church, you can say amen. Awesome. Well, hey, it's important to understand, unlike today, Christians at this time, they lived as a single family. So it wasn't uncommon to have up to sometimes three generations, like including cousins working alongside one another. That's part of what it meant to be a family in ancient Israel. So usually what members of the family would do is they would work in the same trade together. So it was really common that a family would take up a particular trade and everyone in the family would be a part of that business, right? This is where we see like Peter in the book of Acts. Peter was a fisherman. Peter's brother, Andrew, was also a fisherman. We see that their father was also a fisherman. So they had the entire family unit was a part of this industry. This was very common in ancient Israel. And these households, they trusted They all trusted each other and they shared a common purse of which everyone got what they needed. So they were extremely generous towards one another. This was a really unique kind of living situation, but this was how it was in ancient Israel. Like today, we don't really live like this. Today, it's not quite so family oriented. Not only was this the culture of um, ancient Israel and the family, it was also the way that Jesus modeled what the kingdom was to be like. So we see it's in the gospels that Jesus, more than one time, what he does is he took loaves of bread. You may have read the story. He takes loaves of bread and he takes fish. And Jesus actually breaks up and blesses and begins to feed the multitude of people. So there's crowds that are following Jesus and disciples. Jesus begins to take these little pieces of bread, these little pieces of fish, breaks them up and feeds them to what we see in the book of Acts. Thousands, or excuse me, uh, the gospels, thousands and thousands of people with a handful of fish and a handful of loaves. Someone say, that's crazy. Jesus wasn't just exercising his rule over creation when he did this. He was showing his extravagant generosity. The 12 disciples, it was interesting, even as they walked with Jesus, the 12 disciples had a common shared resource. So they shared everything together. Wherever they went, it was like, hey, if you need something, bro, I got you. 
You need some money? I got you. You need some food? I got you. They all together gathered their resources and lived as a family unit. We see even in a culture in the Bible, if you didn't know this, women and kids weren't considered to be fully human. They were like half human. It's crazy. Jesus in the gospels, we see Jesus in the Bible, he actually, he takes the utmost time to give dignity and to give honor to kids and to women. This was like, you didn't see this in ancient Israel. It was the extravagant generosity of Jesus to do these kind of things. Where there was things like uh, physical ailments, if people had you know, diseases or if they were lame and they couldn't walk, uh, you know, people who were crippled with sin or people who uh, even were possessed with demons, Jesus would come on the scene and Jesus would heal people. Like it was like, hey, you got a demon? I cast you out in the name of Jesus. You know, like in my own name, I cast you out. Or like, hey, you got a physical, you know, you got something going on with your body? Be healed in my name, in Jesus' name. Or hey, this sin is crippling you your entire life. Your sins are forgiven you. This was the extravagant generosity on display through Jesus. And we see it all throughout the gospels. It was part of Jesus' mission to represent a family-like culture that was generous. Someone say generous. Today, come on, if we're honest, this is very countercultural. We're a world that's driven by selfishness and consumerism. We're a culture that lives mostly independently, right? When it comes to things like family time, if we're honest, most of us don't really spend time like we read they did in the Bible, family time. <laughs> Come on, like it's rare nowadays to get a group or a family together to sit around the table and to share a meal. You don't really see that so much today. In the ancient world, this was common. It's like, hey, this is just what we do. Uh, and today, come on, let's talk about it. Any of you own a house right now? You know, if you don't own a house, you live in a house, right? Or an apartment, you got neighbors, right? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that was funny to me. <laughs> but, we don't even sometimes know our neighbors. <laughs> we don't know the names of our neighbors. We don't know what's going on with our neighbors. And my wife and I, we have uh, this sweet old lady. Her name is Kay. And she lives a few houses down from us. She's like probably 85 years old. She's the sweetest woman in the world. My wife and I, we have to be really intentional. Like when we come home and Kay's walking by, she does a walk twice a day. She's incredible. Come on, if you need to write something down tonight, right? Walk twice a day like Kay. Because she is fit. But my wife and I, we have to be intentional to like go out of our way, what it feels like to talk with Kay. Like, how you doing? Here's Declan. She always wants to see our son. She always wants to touch him. And it's the sweetest thing. But she's our neighbor. And it's just crazy that we have to think about and even be intentional. Like we're going to go out of our way to talk to our neighbor to see how she's doing. This is what generosity looks like. And we don't share, uh, we don't share meals around the table with family and friends. We just do things like we grab Chick-fil-A on the way home. Right? 
And if you have a TV, if you read a newspaper, or if you just get outside, you'll see it everywhere. That politics seems to be more about power and personal gain than helpful policies. Business, more about personal profit than a great service to others. Relationships, more about what's in it for me than how can I be of service to you. Our world is consumed with the idea that we're the center of it. It was the early church who modeled a radically different kind of life. In verse 44, see it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. You ever read stuff like this in the Bible and you're like, dang. Like they were doing what? They were taking their land and they were selling it for people in the church? You know what I mean? Like I read this and I'm like, dang, you guys had faith. Like you guys were generous. And see, at face value, you might think, wow, that's pretty crazy. Okay, okay, when you understand the context of how this was at that time, it'll blow your mind. Because today for us to sell a property or to sell a house, is just like, oh, that's just another thing, right? My wife and I, we love to go on Zillow. Anyone else in here love Zillow? Every day, right? I, like, as the market's been booming, my wife and I, we get on Zillow every day. It's like, oh, what's the value of our house? What's the value of our house? You know, and it's like, it just keeps going up. I'm like, amen, Lord. Right? You don't sell, hold. <laughs> yeah. But to us, it's like, okay, you know, I can't really understand. For the people in Israel, see, land wasn't just an economical asset. It was part of their ancestral heritage. It was part of God's promised inheritance. So these were things like the land they had, it was land that had been passed down for generations and generations and generations. So when we read this scripture in Acts, we need to understand, okay, this wasn't just like a flippant, I'm gonna sell my land and give it away. This was like, this is a prized possession to me. It's something that God has given me through generations of family. And we see what, what the church of Acts was doing. It was so extravagantly generous. They were taking that land. And when someone was in need in the church, they would say, you know what? We'll sell that land so we can meet your need. <laughs> Talk about generosity. Come on. If we don't hear anything else, hear that. This church was extravagantly generous. This is the kind of generosity we see that marked the early church. See, the early Christians had a word for describing the life that they lived towards one another. It was this word called agape. Anyone ever heard the word agape? Agape, what it means is it means love in the Greek. So agape is the greatest of four types of love that's described in the Bible. We see four different types of love. We see there's the first kind of love. It's, it's called storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. This was an empathy bond. This was like, I feel something for someone else. This would be a storge type of love. The next, the second type of love was a phileia type of love. This was a friend love. So this was like, okay, I've got a, I've got a BFF in the church. I got a good friend of mine. That's a phileia type of love. The third was an eros love. Hey, yo, someone in the church, this was a romantic love. Okay, this was like when you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or when you're married, eros is what describes that kind of love. And then there was the fourth one, 
the greatest of these loves was a love called agape. Agape was an unconditional love that came from God. So agape is the same kind of love that God shows towards us. In John three sixteen, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, what it actually translates to is God so agapes the world that he gave his one and only son. See, agape love is not just love in, in word or to love in a feeling. Agape love is love in action. It's a love that gives one's entire life away. So when God gave up his son, Jesus, when God said, you know what? You guys have committed sin. You guys have turned your backs on me. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna demonstrate agape love and I'm gonna give my son as a sacrifice for your sins so you can go free. This is agape love. Jesus was the one who showed us what agape love is. And for the early church, life was shaped around this extravagant, self-giving generosity. Generosity, you see, is not just something we do, it's something we become. And that affects every area of our lives. For many of us, we think generosity just has to do with money. Generosity is much bigger than just money. It's all-encompassing. Here's five currencies of generosity. There's many more. The first one is time. See, generosity is giving people their time. So some of us in here tonight, we might not struggle with giving our tithes or giving money to the church or being generous with money, but some of us, if we're honest, we have a difficulty giving our time. Some people will tithe, but they'll never volunteer in the church. This is a currency of generosity, is giving of our time. The second one, emotional availability. So people may t pay their tithes, right? They may, uh, they may serve on a team, but they won't allow people to know them on a deeper level. Some of you in here, you've been in the church maybe for a long time, but you've never gotten involved in a small group. Some of you, you've been in the church for a long time, but you keep people at a close distance. You haven't built any real godly friendships. This is emotional generosity. Is when we said, you know what? I'm allowing to let you into my life and I'm gonna share the deepest parts of myself with you. That's emotional generosity. The third one is physical space, acts of hospitality. Come on, I'll be honest up front. I am not good at this one. Anyone else with me on this? It's like, my home is my home, right? Like, it's my time where I get to be alone. This is a part of being generous, is physical space. The fourth one is relational grace. Relational grace. See, most people, they keep accounts in their relationships. It's like, hey, you've done something wrong. You owe me an apology. Or, hey, I'm waiting for a thank you for this. That's emotional that's relational grace. We're not supposed to keep tabs on those around us. Relational grace is, you know what? I'm gonna love you regardless. You know what? Even though you did that to me, I'm not expecting an apology in return. I forgive you. You know what? I'm not gonna keep tabs because I'm gonna extend relational grace. It's funny when you get married, you really start to realize that there's some things that kind of set you off or kind of trigger you when it comes to relational grace. I'm being honest, right? Like 
like my love language is I love physical touch and I love, what's my second one? <laughs> if my wife was here, she would know. Quality time, yes, because my wife hates quality time. Um, my wife, she, she's so anti-quality time. And I'm like, this is so hard because that's like one of my greatest needs is quality time. I just want to spend time with you. And, um, you know, my wife, she is words of affirmation and she is the worst acts of service. I'm like, come on, no one likes to do acts of service. Like, let's just, let's just, you know, let's just touch. Come on. You know what I mean? Like we're married girl. You know what I mean? My wife, she just wants acts of service. So this creates some tension when it comes to relationships. And this is where, if I'm being honest, marriage can stretch you. Relationships can stretch you to where you say, you know what, even though you're not meeting my, my emotional or my love need, I'm still gonna go out of my way to fulfill your tank. This, this will get you a long ways in marriage. Even if you're not meeting my needs, I'm gonna still work to meet your needs because that's what it looks like to live selflessly. That's relational grace. The fifth one is money. So a lot of us will serve all day. We'll open up our houses to anyone. But when it comes to money, it's mine. Right? We hold it very close to our hearts. Um, when I was a first year intern, it was really, it was interesting. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and told me to tithe on what I wanted to make. And at that time, it was, it was a lot of my income. It was like at the end of the month, I was barely getting by. I was paying my interns. I was tithing almost all my money I had, paying rent, et cetera. And um, it was crazy. I was just talking to my wife the other day. I said, babe, I just remember, just thought about the fact, almost five years ago, God told me to tithe on the amount I wanted to make. And I was obedient. Right now, our combined income is the exact amount that I tithed on over five years ago. So in my act of being generous, even with my money towards God, God did the miraculous. So this is why we can't hold back when it comes to generosity, even with money. Science even backs the positive effects of generosity. The first one, generosity, I'm gonna read these real quick. Generosity makes us healthy. Chronic blood pressure was found to be reduced as much as medicine and exercise with those who were generous. Generosity makes us happy. Giving our time and money to others gives us an emotional boost. Giving triggers feel-good chemicals like endorphins and dopamine. It's pretty interesting. Generosity lowers stress. After hooking people up to a heart monitor, those who were generous kept down stress unlike those who were not as generous. Number four, generosity improves relationships. Researchers found that the recipient of generosity expresses high levels of mental satisfaction, and so did the giver. And the fifth one, generosity extends your life. One study of 2,000 people found that volunteering dramatically reduces mortality rates. So not only does God model a life of generosity, even science backs its benefits. So what is the key to this radical kind of generosity? And as the band comes forward, we're gonna start closing this thing down and hopefully it helps to make it good. In uh, Luke 18, nine through 14, it says two men, this is a parable that Jesus is sharing. It says two men went up into the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, it's important for us to understand context in this scripture. Tax collectors in this day were some of the most despised people in the Jewish culture. So they were Jews who sold out to the Romans and worked for the Romans by collecting taxes. The Romans had tax collectors squeeze everything that they could out of the Roman citizens. The taxation was actually so oppressive, it was really extortion, which in return made the tax collectors very rich. Okay, then the Pharisees, on the other hand, the Pharisees were widely respected in Jewish culture. Prior to this time, the religious establishment in Israel was seen as corrupt and not devoted to God. The Pharisees came to reform the religious establishment. They were a very devout group that sought to bring the nation of Israel back to God. They were committed to studying and obeying God's law and giving one-tenth of their income. See, outwardly, the Pharisees were very generous. Even today, this would be considered very generous. The average American, did you know, they only give away 3% of their income. The Pharisee in this time was giving over 10% of their income away. So outwardly, it seems like he is very generous. And then they start to pray. Verse 11 says, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. And he prays for others by looking down on them, thanking God that he's not like them. See the Pharisee, he has the appearance of being generous, but he really has a closed heart says the tax collector, he stood at a distance. Says not viewing himself worthy to be near God. And it says he cries out for mercy. What was he crying out for? The tax collector was crying out for the generosity of God. See, the tax collector knew he was unworthy. And that was what humbled him and allowed him to see his great need See, the source of radical generosity is not what you give, it's what's in your heart. Luke 18, 13, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Greek word for mercy or for merciful, which was typically used, elus, this meant sympathy or compassion, is not the word used here. Luke uses an unusual word. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. It's a word called helostevion. It means to appease, to turn aside, to satisfy someone's wrath. See, the tax collector is not saying, Lord, I need some sympathy. Lord, I need a break. Lord, I need someone to understand. He's saying, I need someone to satisfy or appease the wrath for what I've done. In other words, I need radical generosity to which could only come from Jesus. 
See, radical generosity will develop in us as we see the radical generosity towards us through Jesus Christ. The radical generosity that we see in the early church, it was a result of experiencing firsthand the generosity of God. They had received from God. They received forgiveness. They received redemption. They received restoration. They received new life. They had received the great generosity of God. See, if we wanna be a people who live generously, it won't happen in our own strength. Real generosity will only happen when we experience the radical generosity of Jesus. And that's what happened in this church. See, the reason they were able to give up their land that meant so much, the reason that they were able to give and share as any had need was because they had understood that they had received the generosity of Jesus. They had understood that in their need, when they weren't worthy and when they were undeserving, Jesus came in their place and forgave them of their sin, gave them a brand new start and said, you know what, regardless of what you've done, I forgive you. And they knew, God, you are generous. And this is where the church said, you know what? This is how we'll build our lives from the generosity of our God. So come on, I wanna challenge you tonight. Maybe there's areas of your life where you would say, you know what? God, maybe I have been a little bit stingy in this area. Maybe it's been in your time. You know, like I said, you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe you are giving when it comes to money, but maybe when it comes to time, you're not serving in the church. Can I just encourage you to extend generosity in this area? Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your emotional life. Maybe it's in the relationships that you have. Whatever the area might be, can I just encourage you tonight to be generous as our God is generous? Come on, would you stand with me tonight? So if that's you, and maybe you came in here and you would say, man, there's, there's areas in my life where I realize I'm not generous like God would like me to be generous. If maybe even one of those five things I talked about just really felt like God was speaking to you. If there's an area you say, God, I wanna give that up to you tonight. I'm just gonna ask with, uh, with, with every eye closed, with every head bowed, you'd say, God, there's an area in my life I need to grow in generosity. I feel like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. If that's you, I just wanna have you raise your hand, lift your hand up and say, God, there's areas I need to grow. Come on, hands up all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just recognize tonight that generosity in our lives, it's an extension of the generosity of Jesus. And so Lord, I ask tonight that there would come a fresh understanding that God, where we've maybe been stingy, where we've maybe held back, that God, I thank you tonight, you would reveal it to us. And God, I thank you that you, by your grace and by your spirit, would impart strength, would impart understanding, and would give us insight to the generosity of our God. And Lord, I thank you that as we receive understanding of the generosity of our God, 
that our lives will reflect the generosity of Jesus, that our lives will reflect what the early church looked like, that God, we wouldn't hold on to things, we wouldn't hold back in relationships, but our life would be marked by extravagant generosity. Thank you, Jesus. And if you came in here tonight and you would say, I've never experienced the generosity of God. I didn't know that, that Jesus did what he did on the cross. I didn't understand until tonight that, God, I'm sinful. And like the tax collector, God, I understand that I'm in desperate need of saving. If that's you tonight and you came in and you wanna experience relationship with Jesus, you want the generosity that God offers. If that's you in here tonight, I'm just gonna ask you on the count of three to lift your hand up and put it back down. The Bible says when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, it says that we shall be saved. So if that's you and you came in here tonight and you want relationship with Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you one, two, three. Just lift your hand up and back down. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Church, would you pray this prayer, especially if you raise your hand, but would you just pray this prayer after me? Just say, Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the generosity you've extended. Thank you for forgiving me. And tonight, giving me a fresh start. Lord, let my life be marked by generosity. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior for the rest of my life. Come on, if you prayed that prayer, would you just give it up for Jesus tonight? Thank you for joining us today. To stay connected with our community, you can follow us at Capital Young Adults.